Today on the Talent Cast, we attempt to do the impossible. We attempt to count the number of angels on the head of a pin, or the number of grains of sand in a beach, or measuring your employer brand when we get back. Hello, and welcome to the Talent Cast. I'm your host, James Ellis. We're here to talk about employer branding and talent acquisition, talent recruitment marketing at some fairly deep levels. We're not here to pitch books. We're not here to pitch software. This is a 100% pitch-free zone. We're here to go back to first principles and really think through what it's going to take for you to be better at employer brand talent acquisition, for you to win the war for talent. Yes, that's a bad metaphor. Yes, people shouldn't say it. Yes, it's also my Twitter handle, so I can't help you. This will not be your standard podcast. This will be a little goofy, a little weird, a little bit of me. Hopefully, you're going to learn something from it. If you like it, please tell people. Uh, if you like it a lot, review us on iTunes and Google Play. Otherwise, you can hear, learn more about us or talk to us directly on Twitter, again, at the War for Talent, or just go to our website, thetalentcast.com. So that having been said, here's the show. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, the only housekeeping I have is that I'm going to be in San Francisco for Social Recruiting Strategies Conference at the end of the month, beginning of February. If you're on your way out to see me, you should see lots of other people who are far smarter than I am. But if you see see me, say hello. Uh, I'd love to see if anybody actually listens to this podcast who goes to these things. Um, you know, there you go. Otherwise, uh, yeah, that's the only other thing. ERE's coming up and then Recruiter Con, Recruit Con. Those dates will be somewhere in a uh, uh, show notes. Today, I want to talk about the impossible. Today, I want to talk about things that scare us, or at least scare me, frankly. Uh, and that is, how do you measure an employer brand? So before we get into that, I want to ask the simple question, why on earth would anyone want to measure your employer brand? Well, there's the theoretical altruistic reason, and then there's the real reason. A theoretical altruistic reason is simply this understand how good a job you're doing, where you can be effective, where your opportunities to grow are, uh, what channels are working, what tools are working, what campaigns are working and what aren't, um, understanding the bigger ecosystem, the lay of the land and how all that works. And that's, that's good stuff. You definitely want to do that. But there's the real reason, the political reason, is that is because ultimately at some point your boss is going to walk up to your desk, cubicle, or office and say, why exactly are we paying you? You know, let's justify your existence a little bit. And you're going to need to measure that employer brand to say, hey, look, we're investing in an employer brand. You want to be able to measure that you are making some sort of impact on it. And then you can make a conversation of how the more positive employer brand is having a positive impact on recruiting and hiring and all the other things that employer brands should be impacting. That's the real reason we care about this stuff. It's the real reason we measure it. It's to justify our existence to our boss so they continue to pay us on some level and smile when they see us and don't scowl and make us feel uh, less than, right? Um, So let's get into it. So I initially, I think I've actually talked a little bit about this last year. Um, It's I think when we talked about it initially, I think I said the rule of thumb is simply to say, look, when you're starting out, there's no reason not to just leverage what's easy. The low-hanging fruit is simply this. Glassdoor reviews. Glassdoor ratings is a fine rule of thumb. And over last year, 
I came to the realization, as you listen to in our award-winning podcast, uh, What Glassdoor Gets Wrong, and that Glassdoor, while I want you to think that a Glassdoor rating is a rating of a company and employer brand, it is not. It is, in fact, a rating of how well your recruiters are doing, if you can believe it. That is distilling uh, 30, 35 minutes of podcast into six seconds. That is... Because people who stay tend to leave higher scores and people who leave tend to leave lower scores, having a low score implies that your recruiters are not doing a good job hiring people who fit and stay around. Uh, and people who, and, and if you have a great score, it's about people stick around longer. Now, there are quibbles and there are nuances and there are exceptions to that rule. For example, the average number, the average length of stay on a Facebook recruiter, I'm sorry, a Facebook developer is like 2.01, 2.02 years. Um, but their Glassdoor rating is, is, is four plus, which is fantastic. But overall, if your people are leaving, they're going to leave bad scores. You're going to have a low rating and that's not a rating of the company. It's a rating of how well your recruiters did a job of finding people who fit. Um, on top of other things, but that's the core of it. So using Glassdoor as a rule of thumb is fine for a rule of thumb. As a heuristic, as a just a, in general, you can measure the relative health of your employer brand. Yeah, use Glassdoor if you got nothing else. But if you want to get serious about it, if you want to get professional about it, if you want to really impress your boss and the stakeholders in your employer brand, which, by the way, are everybody, uh, at least everybody in your company, at least it should be, you got to break it down a little more. You got to get down into metrics. Now, everyone knows that no one got into recruiting because they love metrics, uh, in the same way that nobody got into marketing because they liked math, and nobody got into, um, you know, development because they liked people. <laughs> there are reasons why people get into the jobs they they get into, and yet somehow those things we are avoiding get thrust upon us. And every marketer who doesn't know their metrics backwards and forwards is a doomed uh, marketer. Recruiters need to know some basic business skills, and they need to know some basic math and some basic metrics. They just got to know. Um, it, it, it's a good way to learn how to do a better job. and to Even if, again, your, your boss loves you and thinks you're doing a great job, you still want to be able to measure your own skill and your ability at this stuff. So let's break down how you can measure an employer brand. Asterisk, this is in no way me telling you this is the canonical manner in which you will measure an employer brand. There are lots of ways you can measure an employer brand. And some of them are going to be dependent on what kind of recruiting stack you have. So for example, what kind of ATS, what kind of CRM, what kind of email system, what kind of website, what kind of analytics, do you have some sort of third-party metric system tacked on top of all of that? Certain things you can do, certain things you can't. Um, but this is a good way to start, and I think most of this stuff is doable today for most people, meaning you don't need to invest in a big high-end smash fly. Again, no, you know, I'm not getting money for them, but I know they're big into metrics. Um, you know, there's plenty of recruiters and, and, and stuff like that. There are plenty of companies who do data points like this and will give you lots of data. If you don't invest in it, that's okay. There's still good ways of measuring your employer brand, and that's what we want to talk about. So what I would start with is to say there's two things you got to focus on. First is the split. When you talk about how do you measure, you're measuring two ideas. You're measuring the reach, and you're measuring the strength. And these two things are not related. For example, find me a person above the age of three years old um, in the modernized, civilized world who doesn't know what Coke or Coca-Cola is. That is a powerful, powerful extended reach. If you're three years old, do you know that it's delicious or not delicious or sugary sweet or whatever? That's a strength issue. 
the fact that lots of people know who you are is a reach issue. The fact that lots of people have a powerful, strong, can recite it, can repeat it, hold it dear, uh, that's a strength issue. So for example, um, Uber has a very strong employer brand. It's not necessarily positive. It's actually negative, though it is turning around, it seems. Um, but it's super, super strong. GE, everybody's favorite uh, go-to, for example, incredibly uh, wide-reaching employer brand for years and years and years because it's a massive company. They make them lots of different things from light bulbs to nuclears to nuclear reactors um, and, and everything in between and jet engines and all that good stuff and, and, and stuff. Uh, everybody knows who they are. Everybody's GE. Everybody knows General Electric. It was uh, the central tenant of many, many jokes on 30 Rock, which long-time listeners know I watch all the time. But what did you feel about it? And that's why GE got into having to spend a lot of money and time on the consumer market promoting their employer brand and commercials to say, we know everybody knows who we are, but nobody has a strong feeling about us or nobody knows us as a potential employer. So they were focusing on reach and strength. They were, that's the, those are the ways they were thinking about it. So you can have a wide uh, reaching employer brand with no strength and you can have a very uh, narrow employer brand with very high strength. So for example, if you were the world's greatest um, agency for here and I'm, this, I'm just going to pick on something I know a little bit about. If you're the best marketing agency for pharmaceuticals specifically targeting doctors on how to remind them that your brand of pharmaceuticals exist, that is a very narrow, narrow uh, focal point, right? You're not talking to a lot of people. Not everybody has to know your name. It's not a consumer brand that everybody has to know of. And frankly, even in the marketing world, you may not know of that. That is a very, very narrow brand. However, if you're known by people who do know you as the best agency who does that, that's a very, very strong brand. Or alternatively, if you are known as the worst, that you're horrible, that you have screwed up 17 ways to Sunday, you're strong employer brand, but it's negative. Okay, so that's, it's reach versus strength. So that's part one. Part two is where your employer brand comes into play. And in my head, and again, non-canonical, no, you know, the Bible has not been written on this one. Um, I break it down these with three ways. First off is awareness. Employer brand highlights and impacts awareness. It impacts conversion, and it impacts engagement. We're going to break those down quite a bit. So this might be, I don't know how long, this might be a longer podcast. So, you know, enjoy your commute. So let's start with awareness. How do you make, so let's talk about what do we mean by awareness. Awareness means simply lots of people know that your employer brand exists, and many of them have an opinion on it, meaning you have reach and then you have strength. Um, and it, it's heartfelt. So again, just because everybody knows GE doesn't mean that they feel positively or negatively about it, right? That's a reach versus strength issue and awareness. Hold on, I need to take a sip of water here. Hey, uh, just interrupting myself for just a second, just to remind you that because this podcast has made me extraordinarily wealthy, there's really nothing you can do. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to make any commercials or anything. You do not have to donate anything at all to keep this podcast going. Again, wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. Thank you all. I appreciate it. All you can do to help me make this podcast even better somehow is to review us on iTunes and Google Play and other places that you review and share podcast information. That's all you got to do. Leave some stars, leave a review, whatever you got to do. We really appreciate it. It's what keeps us going. Thanks to the people who've done it already, but keep them coming. We really do, like I said, we really do appreciate that. That's all I had to say. Again, I'm going to stop interrupting myself to bring you the amazing voices of me. Bye. Mm. 
And yes, for you longtime listeners, it's not coffee, it's water. I've already had two cups of coffee. Don't worry. I'm perfectly caffeinated. Thanks for asking. I know you're concerned. Awareness. Do people know about you? Now, where does this matter? Well, most entry-level and lower-level job seekers and a lot of even mid-level job seekers, when they're trolling on a job board like Indeed or what have you, and they're spin, they type in their job title, they type in what they think they want and location, they're going to get spitted back a couple hundred at least um, jobs. And they're going to be got a little a logo in the top and a company name and the job title and maybe the first couple of words of that job description. As any designer will tell you, the visual logo is the first thing they see. Just That's just how things work. That's just how eyes work and how brains work. They capture, because it takes time for your brain to process the words and convert them into meaning, whereas uh, a visual immediately connotates, you know, sparks that uh, memory of a brand. So in the same way that the Nike swish, you immediately go, yeah, it's Nike. You don't have to see the word, the letters N-I-K-E. Uh, you know it, right? It's just, it, that's the power of a logo. That's why brands have logos is because it strikes a different part of the brain and it's fast acting and yada, yada, yada. So if your candidate or prospect is sitting there on Indeed or what have you, and they're skimming through a couple of hundred job recs that could potentially match what they think they're looking for and the first thing they see is your logo that is the best opportunity for your brand to have an impact meaning if everybody knows your company and everybody knows that working your company has particular positive impact right so for example and i go back to them these these all the time if you're goldman sachs they know that this is all about status and money if you're sas out of raleigh or i'm sorry Cary, north carolina you know it's all about work-life balance if they have a strong and powerful employer brand immediate recognition happens meaning if you are trying to compete against a couple hundred other companies in a couple hundred other wrecks your employer brand is the first way they stop and look and click on that link and look at the rest of the job description. Otherwise, they just skim right past it, right? That's the first power of employer brand. It forces, it, it, it encourages people to say, stop, allow me your attention for like 10 seconds and take a look at this opportunity. This isn't just some, hey, go back to Craigslist. Know how many job postings on Craigslist are just total crap or total scammy bullshit? I mean, it, You've seen them, and they're. I feel sorry for people who are having to leverage Craigslist to find their jobs, because not for any other reasons other than Craigslist is not good at this. It it really doesn't discourage spammy uh, job postings. Um, It's too bad. Uh, But right, you know, you want to make sure that you're not part of that. You want to be seen as oh, company X is hiring. Oh, that's fantastic. Or oh, I've heard something nice about them. Or oh, I've heard something good about them. I'm going to consider them. When you're skimming past them, you just need to give them a reason to stop and consider you. That is a powerful employer brand. So that is awareness. How do you measure that? A couple of different ways. And they're varying in effectiveness. And frankly, if you're building your, you know, if if, if measuring your employer brand is all a function of keeping your boss happy, you're going to build a dashboard, right? And you're going to pick a couple of these scores and you're going to measure them longitudinally to show that you are elevating them over time. Whatever tactics you're doing should be impacting these things. And there are a couple ways you could promote it or a couple ways you could measure it. The first is, and this is the softest one, so I'm not in love with this, but it should be considered, and that is traffic, traffic to your career site. If lots of people come to your career site, that means lots of people know about your employer brand, which is a good indication that you have some general brand awareness. 
And more people showing up to your site means more brand awareness, right? If I show up to your site having never heard of your company and I read about your company, guess what? I have brand awareness. It might not be strong. It might not be positive, but I have some awareness. And if your goal is to increase employer brand awareness, getting me to your site is ding. You got it. You win. Congratulations. But there's a lot of ways to gain that. And there's a lot of ways to buy that. And depending on your career site or whatever website you're sending people to, just having people read it doesn't necessarily mean they've gotten much of a brand impression, right? I've seen plenty of career sites where you're like, I finish reading and go, what the heck did I just read? I have no idea what that was because it was undifferentiated and boring and no humanity or emotion or connection or authenticity or what have you. And it just looked like every other company and blah, blah, blah. It just washed over me like water off a duck. The next way to measure awareness, this is a little stronger, is links. How many people are linking to your site? Now, this is how Google has gotten famous is because the way they measured and evaluated a website was to say, how many people link to a given website? Effectively treating a link to your site like a vote. And the reason they would sort uh, search results was based on how many votes you got as well as 199 other factors. Uh, but, and it's an oversimplification, but there you go. So if people are linking to your site, if people are linking to your career site and linking to your social media channels, and there you go, you can tag on followers and fans and likes and what have you, people are aware. And you can collect all those numbers. You can say, look, here's a general broad awareness score and say, here's our website traffic, here's our social traffic, here's our social followers, here's our uh, number of links to site. And you add them all up and you get a number and that's your score. And hopefully over time, those numbers go up, right? More people are becoming aware of you. Now, it's not a perfect score. Um, but it's a good general rule of thumb that if those numbers are going up, okay, things aren't bad. You know, that, that's good. Potentially, however, more powerful ways of measuring that would be something like Google ranking or Google trends, meaning how well are you ranking in a search? If you, if you are the world's greatest purveyor of surgical gloves, um, search for surgical glove jobs, see where you pop up in Google. Just pop up, you know, are you rank number one, number 20, number 120, and those things, Frankly, if you're doing a good job increasing awareness, your ranking should go up. Now, I'm not a big fan of letting some other company be a black box uh, metric, but you know, there's value in this one. Google Trends, if you don't know it, is a way of tapping into Google's database of information of how people use the internet and search for things and their level of intent. And you can say, pick three other companies and you can search for your company jobs in quotes and then competitor one jobs in quotes and competitor two jobs in quotes and you can see over time how many people are searching on that and that's a great metric to say look you are competitive to these companies relatively um, it won't show you total number of traffic but it will show you out of a hundred how you rank relative to those other search terms so for example if I'm at um, Netflix and I search Netflix jobs and I rank them over Hulu jobs and Amazon Prime jobs. And I don't know if, I don't know if Amazon Prime jobs is a good example because that's an unlikely search. Um, but maybe you say Hulu jobs and Dropbox jobs. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of other companies in that kind of cohort of potential jobs. And if you're a developer, your cohort may be different than as a salesperson or as an uh, account manager, account director, um, depending. So you've got to 
understand if you're focusing on building awareness for your developer jobs, you have to understand what other companies those developers care about, and then you rank them. And so in this case, it might say, and I'm not looking at Google Trends, so I, I'm making these numbers up, so I apologize if I'm pissing anybody off. You know, Net, Netflix jobs ranks number two, but it's very, very close number two relative to Hulu jobs, but a distant and a distant third would be Dropbox jobs, for example. And maybe they switch over time. That's a good way of showing your ranking, your score. So if you keep a steady set of competitors in the Google ranks, you can see how, pe how aware people are of your brand. Okay. That's awareness. Now, you could throw in net promoter score, which is kind of a strength but not really awareness, but I think it's a good measure uh, for those of you who are not in the metric in the marketing world and don't really know net promoter score. Net promoter score is effectively surveying a bunch of people and saying, scale of one to 10, how likely are you to, to uh, promote this job or promote this company or to say nice things about this company to other people? And if they score a nine or a 10, you get a point. And if you score, uh, hold on, eight or a seven, you get no points. And if you get six through one, you get negative one point and you just add them all up. And if your score, you know, and that score is something you can measure over time. And you can say, we have a net promoter score out of a hundred. We, we, we measured a thousand people this quarter and we have a net promoter score of 102. And next quarter, you may have a net promoter score of 122. That's a pretty good increase in overall awareness and strength of your employer brand. That's awareness. And awareness is great because it gets people to get to the job, which is only step one. And I think one of the biggest problems we have in employer brand is we think the employer brand stops there, and they're wrong. Those people who think that are absolutely 100% wrong, and I don't mind saying that directly and bluntly, they're wrong. Simple as that. Let me show you why. So you're a, let's pretend you're a, talent acquisition professional. You manage a talent acquisition team and you're doing a great job. Your boss thinks you're doing a great job. Your teams think you're doing a great job. Your hiring managers don't complain nearly as much as they used to. Um, you're doing a great job. And you maybe write an article and somebody sees that you really know what you're talking about or you're in a at a company where people go, wow, they do, they do good, good work there. If that's the case, you know what's going to happen? Recruiters are going to come find you. They're going to come look for you and they're going to ping you with jobs. Now, I'm in a similar boat. I'm not saying I'm famous or anything, but I'm saying recruiters do shoot me jobs on a semi-regular basis. I'm not tooting my own horn. I put my pants on, you know, one leg at a time, just like you do. I'm just saying, look, in a world where talent is scarce, everybody's looking for everybody. Uh, and if you've got a pretty complete LinkedIn profile, recruiters are going to find you. So you get that in-mail request and it's from a company you've never heard of, you are far more likely to ignore or reject that request. If it's from a brand that you have a positive impression of, you are far more likely to accept it or at least have that initial conversation. Maybe you love your job and you're going to stick around forever, whatever. You, it's still fun to kind of talk to recruiters and see what those other opportunities are. And that only happens is because you know that company and that because that company has an employer brand that is has connected with you. You are aware of that employer brand and it's going to, you're going to use it to convert you, you yourself in this case are going to be converted. But, um, you know, if you're a recruiter and you have, and you're working at a company with a strong employer brand, your in-mails are going to get accepted a far higher rate than someone who's at a company no one's ever heard of or at a company everybody hates. Right now, if you're a developer and uh, the FEC, I mean, the FEC, yeah, the FEC comes knocking and after the net neutrality vote, you're 
any developer who wanted to work for the FEC is, is anathema, right? It's not likely. Not going to work. <laughs> FEC is persona non grata. That's all the Latin I know. Um, you know, that, and that employer brand is powerful. That employer brand speaks to someone because, again, in the, the minute or not minute, the seconds it takes for someone to skim that in-mail request and to see where you're working and see where you're coming from, that employer brand speaks volumes and has an opportunity to make people convert or not convert very quickly. At the same time, let's say you found a great candidate. You've got them, them to apply. You got them through the phone screen. They aced it. You got them to the interview. They aced it. The hiring manager adores this person, and you – Send the offer. Offer acceptance rate is a huge, huge, huge metric for you. If you've got a powerful employer brand and you've communicated it well, by the time you get to the offer letter, you should anticipate that most people say yes. And over time, if that number is going down, that means you've got a problem. That means your employer brand is either not reaching enough people, not strong enough, or not being communicated in the process. So for me, offer acceptance rate is another metric. So you've got in-mail acceptance and you've got offer acceptance. Now, you've got some tertiary or secondary levels of metrics that you might want to consider. The ne this one is tough because I still don't know how to measure it, and that is quality of hire. Now, if someone actually knows how to measure quality of hire, speak up because there's a Nobel Prize waiting for you. Um, I frankly don't think quality hire is an easy metric to have, and I think if, if you have it, it's a thumbnail metric. It's based on uh, limited information. So for example, those of you, I think it's, I don't know, maybe it's only in North America, but it might be in Europe as well or other places, and that is uh, the J.D. Powers Award for uh, initial, um, what's the word, for cars. Effectively, it's, it's the award you get that in the first 90 days of owning that car, if you still like owning that car, you get a high score. And the, the company that has the most number of high scores in that regard wins this award of J.D. Power initial quality, blah, 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 blah. To which I say, that's great. And that's the first 90 days. But what happens after that 90 days? If you've got a car that for 90 days rocks the house and at day 92 becomes a lemon and everything falls apart, well, you may have a high J.D. Power quality score, but it's a crap car and you have a negative uh, brand awareness or negative brand sentiment, right? Quality of hire is similar. Most people measure quality of hire in terms of how strong does the hire manager think this candidate could be at the interview stage, or how strong uh, is this interview is this candidate after the first ninety days or the first year. You can't. That's not enough. That's, and, and that's why I think quality scores are almost impossible to measure because quality measures over a lifetime, and you have to see it. Backwards, you have to look in the past to see if that person was a quality candidate. And that means having a lot of data over a long period of time. And frankly, I don't know anybody has that kind of data. So quality scores are thumbnails, meaning they're you know you do things like say percentage of candidates who got through the phone screener, meaning generally people who apply for this job are generally vaguely qualified for this job. And that's not a true quality score, but it's a quality rule of thumb. And that may be enough for you. And there's lots of other ways to kind of slice and dice that one. Last one is the funnel. Now, if you've got tools that measure your funnel, 
meaning how many people you have at the top of the funnel in terms of pipeline, how many people are in the phone screen, consideration phone screen, how many people are uh, in, the, in the interview stage, how many people have had offers out, how many people have accepted, um, all that stuff. You have percentages of rates, and you can aggregate those numbers across all the recruiters and all jobs to say, look, what percentage of people are moving from one stage to the other? And the higher that percentage, the better off your employer brand, meaning people who are given a phone screen are moving to the next one, means they're generally quality hires. People who get an interview generally are sent offers, and that's a function of a strong employer brand. People, you know, it's a match. People get what you're about, and you get what they're about. Again, back to offer acceptance rates. Again, it's all part of the funnel. So if you can have a good view of the funnel, it's a good way of understanding your employer brand strength. However, if you have a strong employer brand, you have the potential for getting a metric ton of candidates that are not either qualified or you're simply, you can't hire. So Google has that problem, Amazon has that problem, Facebook has that problem where they get thousands and thousands of resumes a day for a handful of job openings and you can only put one person in each opening so they're left with just way too many candidates, some of whom they don't even get a chance to consider. So having a strong employer brand <clears throat> may increase the size of the top of the funnel but it may and having that kind of size denominator may lower the total conversion rates at each stage so you have to kind of look at it holistically which is it's not a great metric but it's something interesting to know i wouldn't put it in a dashboard but it's certainly good for doing analysis to see where you're you're weak uh or strong i don't know why i went to the negative there so the third big way employer brand impacts is an engagement meaning if your employer brand is strong, people engage with it, meaning they like you, they share you, they talk to you, they promote you, they, they, they engage with you, right? They do all the things you're supposed to do. And that can be candidates. It can also be employees, right? If you're a company that's all about volunteering and none of your employees volunteer, guess what? You have some problems with your employer brand and your employee engagement. You need to go fix those things. So employer brand does connect to your engagement across the board. Now, how do you measure that? Well, that's a great question. That's why I'm here. Um, I'm not drunk, people. Please stop asking me. First one I would do is attrition. And that's like the acid test of scores, of metrics, right? The higher your attrition rate, the, the weaker your employer brand. Simple as that. If people are leaving, they don't get why they work there. Simple as that. Yes, there's a function of salary. Yes, there's a function of not getting what they want. But truly, your employer brand is predicated on explaining what people can expect to get when they work there. Meaning, if I go join SAS out in Cary, North Carolina, and yes, I go use them all the time, and no, I've never gotten a dime from them, um, I don't go expecting a huge salary. In fact, they're well known for providing median salaries. What they're really offering is work-life balance. What they're really offering is a gym on site and a laundry on site and daycare on site and healthcare on site, meaning they're there to take care of me so that I can focus on the work while I'm there so I can put in eight, nine hours in the day and then turn it off when I go home because it's all taken care of for me, that I can focus for the time I'm there because I know I'm taken care of. That's their brand. They're not there to say, and if you do a great job, there's a metric ton of cash at the end of it for you, unlike at a Goldman Sachs or a hedge fund or what have you. That's, that's, that's a different employer brand. If your employer brand is all about status and becoming famous and you work at a Facebook or you work at a Goldman Sachs because you like the status um, and you are there because you want to go home at 5 o'clock, you're unhappy, meaning you did not connect with the employer brand or the employer brand did not connect with you properly and you had missed expectations. 
and thus you leave, and thus you have a high attrition rate, right? So attrition rate is a function of employer branding. You should absolutely stick it in your metrics. Here's one I feel very strongly about, and I wonder if you either reject it or buy it or also feel strongly about it as well, and that is referrals. I think, and this is based on my brain alone, <laughs> so bias is all around. Um, I think your referral rate is a pure straight-up function of your employer brand, meaning if I work at your company and I'm happy, it's very possible I don't know why I'm happy. I just, just get this sense that I'm happy, and I may attribute it to um, I like the people around me, or I like the office, or I like the atmosphere, or I like my customers, or I like, you know, you get those vague ideas of why people work there. And I, I, I look at companies, and I've seen companies, and I've worked at companies, where everybody seems to complain, but the reason people stay is because of, you know, I like the people around me. Meaning, you know, and that can be a, you know, we complain about the same things, and that's unfortunate, but, you know, that's, that's you've seen that, right? If you're willing to refer someone, that means you are happy about where you work and you have a means by which you can explain why in a way that is meaningful to someone else. If I just say, I like where I work because I like the people, that doesn't really translate. You are not me. Just because I like a set of people might not mean that you like a set of people. We're not the same. But if I say, I like working there because they provide an amazing work-life balance, you can immediately go, I was looking for a positive or a really you know, a flexible work-life balance too. I am interested. Or you can say, no, I'm really all about the cash. No thanks. That's how the employer brand impacts a referral process. So if you can communicate to your employees why you want people to work there, and your employees then agree with that assessment and can then translate that out to their networks, and the networks embrace that, you are doing a great job with your employer brand. And I, it's not a function of how many how many bucks you offer at the end of the referral bonus. It's not about how well you communicate uh, your your program. Or it's not about what tool you use to actually refer people. It's really a function of how strong your employer brand is. And I would love for people to quibble with this. I would love people to push back on this. I want to fight this one out because I think I I feel strongly about this, and I just haven't met anybody who can push me off this idea. And I'd love to see someone try. You know, you know, I'd like to let, let's figure this out. We're a community here. Let's do it together. It's just my voice, but it's a community if you can believe it. Engagement, glass door rating. I think that throw it in there. Throw it in there. I know we talked about it at the top of the hour. Uh, to throw it in there. It, it provides a good heuristic. How often do people share your stories, your content, your job? Again, it's similar to referral. If people get what they're about and like what they're about, and and look, if I worked for Let's see. It's a company that is anathema to me that may not be anathema to you, but I apologize. Halliburton or I don't know, the, the Trump administration. I just no interest whatsoever. I am pretty liberal about this stuff. I don't think that shocked anybody here. I would I would hide the fact that I work those places. Obviously, one for one thing, if I'm working there and something horrible has happened to me. I have had to pay off a huge gambling debt. Um, <laughs> something had to happen where I, it was a job of last resort and I have taken it. Um, and it, I'm, I don't buy into the cause, but I do the work because I respect the work, but maybe not my employer in that regard. I'm not going to share their stories and I'm not going to participate in a content sharing program. And I am not going to raise my hand when people say, who wants to share their story about why they work there? I am not interested in engaging. And that's because... I don't engage with the employer brand. 
I don't buy into it. I don't buy into the mission. I don't buy into whatever it is. I don't buy into it. So if people are sharing and, and raising their hand and willing to tell their stories and willing to publish their stories and willing to, to promote them to other people, you have a, a, a strong, on some level, employer brand. And by having those people share those stories, you're increasing your reach as well. So for me, if I'm today, and again, I'm missing all sorts of potential metrics that if you have um, you know, a very complicated ATS and a very complicated metrics package, you might start to kind of look at some of this stuff. And maybe you can look at things like um, click-through rates on your ads. Uh, you know, if you've got a really powerful employer brand and people are, people are going to click on your ads, they're going to say, oh, I didn't know that Company X was hiring. That's fantastic. And they click on the link. And if nobody knows who you are and no one clicks on the link, well, there you go. Uh, so you might throw stuff like that in, but I think that's a good start to talk about how many people are linking to you or how you're ranking in your, your Google searches and you have to have consistent rankings to identify your overall awareness and maybe a net promoter score in there, though those are not cheap to do. Um, so again, I, I list that as a secondary metric. Conversion, your email acceptance, your offer acceptance. Uh, if you can have some sort of quality of hire rule of thumb, great. Be aware of your funnel, though I don't know how you'd bake that into a dashboard to make any sense. Um, your engagement, your look at your attrition, look at your referrals, look at your glass door, and look at how much people are sharing and engaging with the brand, advocating for the brand. If you can't find any internal advocates, you have serious problems. If you have lots of employer advocates, you know you're doing something right. That is how I would measure my employer brand. That's where I would start. Can you add other things in? Yes. Uh, can you game all of these metrics? Yes. <laughs> That's why I'm, I'm, you know, to me, metrics are kind of a weird space because as soon as you establish here a number and as soon as I establish a number, my boss is going to say, not my boss, but a boss might say, great, you need to increase these by 7% by the end of the year to get your bonus or what have you, or, you know, to keep your job. I'm going to game those numbers pretty hard. I'm going to find ways of figure out what's the number I can easily shift and easily buy and that has the most impact on the overall score and do it. So for example, I will pay people to share. I will pay people to or encourage people to share because that's an easy thing to do. Or I will, um, I don't know, I will, let's see, if, if I've been doing in-mail acceptance rates, I might talk to my recruiters and say, focus on individuals and don't spam people and, and focus, which by the way is a good thing. I'm in this case, gaming the system isn't a bad thing, but that's what I would do. And I think that's where metrics kind of get in trouble where people focus on how do I game the system? How do I juice the numbers and juke the numbers so that I get what I want? Metrics are a way of understanding what you're doing. And for me, and I know this is the end of the podcast and many of you have trolled off and that's fine. I would say the way you approach metrics is not to say, here's the answer. I think metrics help you ask better questions. Now, I've been Google Analytics guy for a long time. Uh, I've taught classes on it, and I wrote a book on it um, that really wasn't a thing. I'll give it to you for free if you ask for it. Um, and that is everybody looks at Google Analytics, and they say, did I do a good job or do a bad job? And you're like, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. You look at those analytics, and you say, it's not there to provide answers. It's there to provide good questions. By the way, good metrics then help you provide information to help you figure out the answers to those good, better questions. But, you know, it's kind of one of those turtles all the way down situations where every time you look at your analytics, you should come with a question and having answered that question, that answer should beget more questions. And those answers should beget more questions and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to the point where, you know, it, you get really deep and you really truly understand how people are, people who engage with your content and your website and what's going on and your, your employer brand and what have you. And then you say, ah, here's where things are working well, here's where things aren't working well, or why, and understanding that to make changes. 
You're not here to juice the numbers by squeezing five or 10% you know, impact out of each one. You're there to say, oh, I found some sort of magical insight into my employer brand. Turns out that people don't apply for my company because they know who we are and they think we're well-respected in the field. Turns out they want to be here because they think we have a supportive environment. Okay. At that point, you need to start turning your employer brand around pretty hard and focus on that sense of support and supportiveness and group and camaraderie and team. And the stronger you can get at that, the more it will resonate with a particular audience, thus increasing your employer brand. Get it? Okay, cool. I have rattled on quite a bit here. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Otherwise, as per usual, you can find me, argue with me, ask me questions on Twitter at the War for Talent. Uh, the website is thetalentcast.com. I know, clever. And as always, review me, rate me on iTunes, Google Play, and any place you want to measure or talk about podcasts. Always appreciate it. Share me with your friends or your professional friends uh, because I think your regular friends won't find this nearly as interesting as you might. Um, you know, just saying. I, I'm, I'm a wonderful, interesting, engaging human being, I guess, but uh, employer brand is, is for a particular kind of nerd, right? And thank you for being one of them. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. And uh, yeah. Bye. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.